The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 42. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make itself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And someday, yes, we will talk about Star Trek Five. We'll we'll do everything. <laughs> but today we're Don't discussing people like that. They might stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw a really good discussion of why the opening scenes of Star Trek Five are really good. We'll have to. I'll have to make a bookmark oh, of that one. Opening scenes. Opening scenes. Yes. Yes. That's that's the key. <laughs> exactly. Be that as it may, which is a whole other topic. Today we're discussing Star Trek Discovery's latest episode, Perpetual Infinity. As, which, as I just said uh, before we started recording, it's kind of oxymoronic. Yeah, it's twice as good as regular Infinity because it's perpetual. Joining me today on the panel, as you've already heard, are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, people, uh, remember to like the Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, where our Facebook page is facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. Leave us comments in those places uh, because that helps to, to, to create a sense of community and discussion. And we will read your feedback uh, in the podcast like we're going to do later on in this uh, episode. At the end, we have some feedback we'd like to share with you. So please send us your feedback. Uh, and you could also please, if you have not yet done so, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app or on YouTube where you should hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes. and. Of course, share the podcast with your friends, with your with your Star Trek loving friends and even the friends who don't love Star Trek yet. This will help them love it even more. Uh, you, it, it is only by you sharing it with people, really. I mean, we try to get it out there, but really the number one way that the, that a podcast grows is by listeners sharing the episode, They're liking it, uh, posting links to it on on social media emailing their friends bugging them to subscribe grabbing their phone from them opening up the podcast app and subscribing for them in the app that works too kidnapping them in remote mountain cabins and making them listen <laughs> yes yeah. yes while they're sleeping put their finger on the uh the the fingerprint reader to open their phone and subscribing that all that stuff is uh, we, we just love when you do that <laughs> and if you can write reviews at itunes podcast don't don't break into your friends homes i'm not advising yeah. you to do that and, uh, and don't literally kidnap <laughs> don't people. kidnap people we, we do not endorse anything that is illegal or immoral yeah. Thank don't you. commit don't commit crimes in your enthusiasm for the podcast <laughs> that's right uh so uh let's move on to the, to the discussion of this episode which is a continuation of this story that uh, of the red angel in star trek uh, discovery uh sec the second season and we pick up uh, in the teaser with uh, a little bit of the of, of what we've been teased with of, of Michael Burnham's history from the actually the beginning of the series, the first season, uh, we see 
the attack by the Klingons on the the colony where her parents and she were living, her family. Uh, Daktari Alpha. Daktari Alpha, where her parents were killed. And then she ended up becoming a ward of Sarek's family and Spock's uh, foster sister uh, in, in that case, or adopted sister. I'm not sure how they, they, they uh, uh, convey it in the, in the uh, series. So what we have is uh, we open with uh, the mom. She's she's a scientist. She's we've we found out before uh, in the previous episode that she was the creator of the Red Angel time traveling suit and the, the the Daedalus project it was called. And they're waiting for this supernova to go up of this nearby star that will provide the energy for the time crystal to do its thing. Um, we have. One of the things I was wondering is if they're far enough away from the star to be safe, how are you close enough to harvest the energy from it? Yeah. And why do you need supernova energy anyway if you have antimatter reactions? Because don't you know that there's the supernova is so much more powerful than antimatter because reasons. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Michael's by, mom. By, yeah. Go ahead. By by the way, a couple of notes about uh, this place. So, the the planet they're at is a Vulcan science colony or something on this place called Doctari Alpha, and they spell it like the word doctor with an I on the end of it. Doctari with an A but, and an I. Yeah. Okay. But I can't help but wonder if this is an allusion to a TV show that was on opposite the original Star Trek called Doctari. It was a family drama show set in Africa, and Doctari is Swahili for the word doctor. Hmm. And um, and I know this was a popular show at the time, and it was on the same, it was like 1966 to 1969, the same years. And I can't help wondering if this Doctari Alpha is a tribute to that somehow. How, how is it spelled? Like the like D O C T O? No, D A K T A R I. But it's this. It's a loan word in Swahili for the you know oh. Latin English word doctor. Wow, I can't imagine that that's coincidence. Or at least it seems really close, and especially since like Michael and her family are are of African descent. You know, I it I just can't help but wondering, is there some connection there? I mean, at but least anyways, connection to the the Swahili word, maybe that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Also, the actress who's playing young Michael Burnham is clearly more than 10 years old. <laughs> yes. And 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 it seems to have grown since we last saw her a few episodes ago. <laughs> yes. The problem of having uh, a child actors <laughs> on your show. Uh, the the same thing happened with uh, Wolf's son, is Alexander. The, she, <laughs> she is the Red Angel. She's moving backwards in time and aging backwards like Merlin and Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> uh, played by uh, the, the... So her mom, Gabrielle, um, it took me a while to remember this, what, what this was, um, is played by uh, Sonia Sohn, I, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, She's been. You know, she was on The Wire. You may, if if you watched The Wire, she was on that, um, and she's done some other things as well. Uh, but so she, she tells Michael at one point in this teaser scene, uh, the universe has its own way of telling time. She says, which is of course yeah. foreshadowing. Uh, it's of, very wibbly wobbly. Uh, yes, but uh, very. Interesting. 
So then we have, it turns out this was a, a memory dream of Michael who wakes up in sick bay disoriented because if you remember, she, at the, at the end of the last episode, they killed her in order to make the Red Angel show up to save her. And so she was in a bad way at this. And, uh, and, we, and for some reason, <clears throat> having just remembered what happened to her when her parents died, Michael does not wake up saying, wait a minute, if my mom was supposed to have been killed by Klingons, why didn't we ever have a body? Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. for some reason, doesn't No one. It apparently that has not occurred in the last 20 years of her life or her dad's body, apparently, because she's she now wonders if he's alive. Um, who, her Michael, by the way, is is a, is they don't come out and say it, but she's named after her dad, who is also Mike. Oh, I didn't notice yeah. that. Uh, okay. And for people who wonder, Michael is actually a, a, there's a tradition of naming girls Michael. I mean, it's not an yeah. un, it's not as it's it's uncommon, but it's not like a it, new thing. It's, it's not. Yeah. I, I, last season when they introduced Michael and they have Tilly going, oh, I've never met a woman named Michael before. And I go, you don't get out much, do you? Or <laughs> I've met women named Michael. It's uh, sometimes spelled a little differently, like M-I-C-H-A-L. But it was actually a woman's name before it became common in English as a man's name, because David's first wife in the Bible is named Michael. Right. Um, the Olivia, the, the, the woman who played um, Mrs. Walton in the Waltons ask your parents kids her name was michael learned um but what you what you often see now is that they'll is the women will use michaela or you know michael with an a on the end but just, i just wanted to mention that because I've, I've seen some people uh bring that up uh the the oddity so our, our michael though is like surprisingly reality resistant so last episode it was like your parents were secret agents and scientists no no they were scientists no they were secret agents and scientists no no they were scientists they weren't secret agents it's like why is that so hard to get down and then in this episode your mom is still alive no no she died it's, well i have come to on, say this is good news work with me on this <laughs> when your mom is alive i think i found it kind of real because she's disoriented from from dying from waking up in sick bay she thinks she's had this memory of her mother and i i found the disorientation in here like the the denial like you're going to you're going to you're going to hope and then deny it because you don't want to get hurt by the hope being quashed. I, I don't know. I found that yeah. kind of real. I, I, I liked it, but no, it, I'm glad it worked for you. It didn't work for me. <laughs> okay. I'm getting tired of this happening with Michael. Just like earlier in the series, I got tired of Michael not saying what she did to Spock and it kept coming up. And now we're having a pattern of her denying reality, being shocked over things that are true, that she doesn't need to be shocked over. I, I can't help wondering, is this going to be like she beams down to a planet and it's like, no, no, I was just standing on the discovery. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, they, they've taken her character in such emotional swings, you know, last season, first season, she was almost cold and distant. And now all of a sudden she's overly emotional and it's just, Back and forth, they're they're not really giving her a lot of balance. What's more, what's more significant, we should talk about the giant mitochondrion in the room. Um, so they they wake her up, and it's like, but wait, aren't I supposed to be the red angel? And and they're like, uh, Culber is like, there are significant biological similarities between mothers and daughters, especially the mitochondrial DNA. So that's either more misdirection about the fact Michael is going to end up in the suit or in which case, it, or it's if, if it, if they're serious about that, 
that they couldn't tell the bio neural signatures that were so good, even machines can't fake them, that this was Michael rather than her mother, then it is really bad writing. It's like, okay, fine. If you wanted to say, well, it's got your mitochondrial DNA. If that was what you set us up with last episode, so it must be you, I'd go, that's every female in her family is going to have the same mitochondrial DNA because it's only inherited from the maternal line and it doesn't mutate freaky fast. Right. So they went so from, that wouldn't yeah. prove it. They went from saying last episode that the bioneural signature is so unique, so special that a, an AI, an advanced system could never could not possibly ever fake it to, well, well, moms and daughters are a lot alike. Like, yeah, come on. That's no. Yeah. This, that's is, this needs to be this needs to be more misdirection. And if and frankly, it, it it's even lame as misdirection because they should go, well, OK, yeah, you're right. We did have your biosignatures. So guess what? You're still going into the suit at some point. Right. And by the way, uh, Hugh is back on duty. Dr. Culber is back on duty, uh, which uh, is interesting to, to see him there. And uh, he, he brings it up that he's back on duty. Uh, Pike then gives the mission oh, logs uh, from the uh, time suit to Michael. Also, she's she Michael in sickbay has a headache because she's she's been exposed to tachyon radiation. Really? Tachyons are particles that if they exist, they move faster than light. So they're flipping through your body faster than light, not interacting with normal matter. And that gives you a headache. Well, there's also the the the, the fancy perchlorate dust and carbon monoxide and everything else you had to deal with. So I would yeah, think, yeah, the toxic asphyxiation, if I could say that, uh, yeah. would, give, would be more likely headache. to give you a headache. <laughs> exactly. So she gets the mission logs from Pike, who so and that gives her and us the opportunity to sort of get a quick review of everything that happened from Gabrielle's point of view, uh, right up to, to where we are. Uh, so she goes through that. And yeah. And, and as she does that, she, so we see the attack of the Klingons, which was to get the time crystal in the suit and everything. Uh, and she, and, and mom is like, okay, I'm going to get in this suit. I'm going to jump back in time. I'm going to thwart the Klingon attack. And as she's doing that, the Klingons come in and blast her. So something goes wrong with the with the time with the time jump. And she looks at her at her wristwatch thing and it's nine hundred and fifty years in the future. It's almost time for Calypso. Except everybody's dead. Except everybody's dead. Right. So so it's not quite the same timeline as Calypso. So, mm. yeah. That that was yeah. a little confusing. Well, and and so let, let's be clear: was it the Klingon attack that made things go wrong? Like I I wasn't clear on why exactly she didn't go where she wanted, uh, it, or or is it because th the, she jumped without getting the supernova energy? Because the TARDIS navigation circuit was faulty. Oh, I mean, <laughs> could, I mean, you could. I think that's one case where you could really headcanon this. Either you could say that the blaster energy, the energy from the the Klingons disruptor, I guess. Um, caused the suit to malfunction and send her to the future. You could say that the time crystal actually came from 950 years in the future. You, you know, I think there's a lot of head cannoning that could go on there, but I, I didn't think it was clear within the episode itself why she ended up there. I, I just assumed because she was blasted at the moment of transport. Yeah. Uh, well, because except there was no damage or to her at, yeah, when she but... jumped. Well, then there's the whole question it's like of feeding in, like feeding in extra energy to the jump from the yeah. disruptor. Why was she? Why? Why 
couldn't she stay? Like, why does she keep getting pulled to the the Uh, 950 years? This this is the big one of the big conceptual problems with this episode is and they keep referring to it wrong. Uh, They keep saying she's she's being pulled back to her own space time continuum. It's like, no, no, no. That's part of yours. It's just a different part. She's she's obviously in your space time continuum because you're interacting with her. Um, But it's like she's for some reason has an anchor point that she keeps jumping back to. And the reason for that is has not been set up in previous Star Trek time travel physics. So this is something new. And they don't they don't explain it really well in, in terms of why this is happening to her. She's apparently like bonded to this moment in the or this time frame in the future in a way we haven't seen before, because we've never seen people being pulled to any specific point in the future or past right. before. I mean, that's that's one thing they did kind of basically set up as a side effect, if you will, of the suit is that it doesn't remain in a time, but goes back to its yeah. origin time automatically. This wormhole, yeah. For, again, for reasons. reasons. <laughs> Our all-purpose reasons. Okay. So Leland, by the way, uh, who I said was dead at the end of the last episode, is, in fact, not quite dead yet. He's only mm-hmm. mostly dead. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> he's, he's alive and resisting. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and we get this we get this scene where he's talking to control that is taking on holographic forms of Michael and Pike and Saru as it's talking to him and then his own as it's talking to him. And it's like, dude, you so totally can't resist. Resistance <laughs> you know, is so totally I, futile. I, I, <laughs> I will say, though, those actors did such a good job as the holograms, especially uh, Anson Mount, just having that dead look. Yes, that flat affect that they provide uh, to it. The, the, the AI, by the way, uh, reveals that, Star- that Starfleet has 7,000 active ships. Um, given that a third of them of their ships were destroyed during the uh, Klingon War, that means there were something like 9,500 uh, ships in Starfleet before the war. Uh, that's a lot of sh- that's a big Starfleet, I have to say. Uh, and but only n- twelve of them like the Enterprise, and none of them are ever around Earth when something bad happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of them are like shuttle. Most of those nine ninety five thousand are like sh- yeah. nine nine hundred and fifty nine thousand five hundred. Yeah, are are like shuttles or something. Yeah, <laughs> right. They're freight fr- haulers. You know the the poor, the poor guys who are in the junk haulers, tugboats, yeah. garbage scows. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, Leland, the, the, the control knows that it can't fool anybody anymore. Like the, the the Vulcan was as best it could do because Vulcans without logic or I mean, without uh, emotion, uh, they it are most like a computer, which is a, a nice slur on the Vulcans that we keep coming back to. But uh, but even <laughs> that doesn't a work. Compliment. Yeah. Uh, the So he needs Leland's body and apparently brain uh, to give the to give the A.I. A, the human nuance the, to cross the uncanny valley, which even then it doesn't manage. Quite do. Quite do. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have, so it injects nanotechnology into his bloodstream, which was really and, effectively creepy in the way yeah, it took and, over. And, and his veins in his forehead, like turn, or in his temples, turn and, dark. And his eyes. Very creepy. Yeah, yeah. that was pretty now, wild. It has been pointed out that, um, that what happens to Leland in this is very much like movie era Borg infection. 
And if you look at the nanobots that it's injecting into him, they have the same green black color scheme that Borg things do. That's true. And his veins then turn the same colors as what Borgs do. And this is accomplishing the same effect as what Borgs do. So it has been proposed this may be tied into the origin of the Borg. Now, we know the Borg have been around since at least the 1400s which was almost a thousand years before this. But guess what? We've got technology that can jump you almost a thousand years in play. So um, I don't know, maybe I kind of doubt it, but it it does fit if they want to go in that direction. That would be that would be an interesting uh, play for them to, to, to make this a Borg origin story. It would explain why so many of the Borg look like Starfleet races, uh, you know, Federation races. Uh, so then we have this scene where um, Saru and Pike and, and others are talking about what what do we do with uh, Gabrielle uh, Burnham, the uh, Michael's mom, Gabrielle. Um, Saru says something about uh, so there's these gravimetric uh, gravity, gravimetric gravity disturbances on the planet, uh, which is related to her be- Gabrielle being pulled back to her the future. And Saru talks about, did he say Newton's third law of motion or Hinton's third law of motion? I thought he said I Newton. thought it was Newton's second. Uh, okay, maybe no, I, I maybe said, have the number wrong. I thought wrong, he said but. second, but I thought he said third. I mean, Newton's third, but. Oh, it might have been Newton's third until he says that's my second favorite law of physics. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So she, he, for some reason, I thought he said Hinton. And I'm like, who's Hinton? Uh, but, well, okay. I, w- I would be nice if they did, I, it's because not every reference to a, to a figure should be someone we recognize from our time. Well, right. Well, Saru's about to do it again in a, <laughs> in a, in a soon to come scene. Um, so the AI Leland comes out of the, his ready room all ready to go and confronts uh Giorgio and, Giorgio and Tyler. Do I, do I want to mention here where uh, I just realized I didn't, I didn't say anything about the. Um, no, no, that's coming up. All right. Sorry. I, I, I got the sequence mixed up because they keep jumping back and forth. Anyway, Leland comes out. He's too direct, too decisive. That makes Giorgio suspicious. And he convince, tries to convince Tyler and Giorgio that uh, Gabrielle is the AI control. Yeah. Or he some he form. says. He says, so Control Leland says, I saw mom's corpse with my own eyes. And that suggests that mom was sent here to get the sphere data. And maybe she's a uh, for control and maybe she's a clone or a replicant. And we, Section 31, needs to be the ones holding that data. Um, So so Tyler has to go steal it. So betray people. Yeah. Right, because because of course Leland's uh, firewalls are so secure that no one can get into, like Georgia. Right, right. So um, it turns out that so G- Gabrielle, um, she's the one she she wants to talk to Pike. She doesn't want to talk to Michael, um, which is so stupid. But, oh well, Michael has this hubba wah face on her, like hubba wah. She doesn't want to talk to me. Uh, she doesn't want to see me, but she's like, oh, obviously, she, you'd be shocked, especially after so long not, not seeing her. Um, her and, argument and, and, is and, that she's the best to judge whether her mother is her mother, which is right. Yeah, because you knew her when you were 10. Well, yeah, that, I mean, I think Leland would be in a better position. To, I mean, he at least knew her as an adult. That's true. That's true. They eventually 
and this is again part of the heavy character psychology aspect of this show. But we eventually we get our scene of Michael and Mom together, and they're going after each other emotionally. And the the reason that they that eventually comes out for why Michael's mom doesn't want to meet her is because she has been repeatedly jumping back to try to save Michael and everybody else and has seen and has failed every time. And so she's seen Michael die repeatedly and has had to disinvest herself from Michael emotionally so she can focus on the overall mission of saving life. And consequently, she doesn't want the emotional entanglements of getting together with her daughter as a kind of self-protection mechanism because she doesn't want to rebond and have that as a distraction while she's trying to save everybody. Of course, there's a flaw in that writing, which is the whole reason she's actually imprisoned in the containment field is because she came to save her daughter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and, uh, and that she's been coming to save her daughter in multiple instances. Yeah, uh, this is another big writing problem with this episode, because Pike is all of a sudden, we need to establish trust if we're going to get any answers by talking to mom. And and it's like, dude, why didn't you trust the angel last episode when you thought it was future Michael? Right. Why does if it's future mom, what's the difference if suddenly you think you need to trust them and start a dialogue instead of trapping them? Right. And and so now we can't. Well, now we can't let mom out because she'll get sucked back into the future. That's the that we've established a new rule uh, here. Um, one of the things uh, Gabrielle does tell Michael at that when she shows up is people think time is fragile, precious, beautiful, sand in an hourglass, all that. But it's not. Time is savage. It always wins. So this and she kind of means what's going what between her and Michael is meaningless. And Michael rejects it, says, no, you and me here now matter. I thought it was interesting. A character moment there where where she's trying to break through this 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 wall that that Gabrielle has I, I, built up. I still like the portrayal of time as wibbly wobbly rather than harsh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, the, apparently the the movement of people from Earth to Terralisi. Remember, I brought that up last last time. Uh, wh like, why would Michael have done that? It was Gabrielle experimenting to see if time could be changed. Uh, and so that was the thing that told her that it could be changed. The sphere showing up was her putting Wrong the too. sphere, the sphere, in, yeah, in Discovery's path to keep the data safe for control. I'm not. That's the, a problem not, with this, though. Is why not yeah. destroy the data? Just destroy what? it. Yeah, let the sphere put the spear somewhere it can't dump its data on somebody, and then no one will have its data. <laughs> exactly, and that's something like the like now they've decided. Oh, we have to delete it, but like. Why weren't we all about destroying it before? So um, then there's another thing she says to Pike, which is, I, I know nothing about the seven signals. So yeah. there's some, some possibilities here. Either she's lying, mm -hmm. she hasn't yet done them yet, or someone else is going to do them. And Spock mentions that it could be a third thing we don't know about yet. So my guess is the signals are because Michael. Yeah. And Michael is the third thing. Well, they could they don't ever say that there hasn't been another suit made. It could be dad, like too. This sure. one, right. This, well, this one, I mean, the, you know, they show coming up here in a little bit, the uh, time crystal being destroyed. So this suit can't jump, but they don't imply or mention at all that this was the only suit ever, 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 ever made. And we don't yeah. know what happened to dad yet. Exactly. Right. But I, I, don't, I wouldn't put too much 
emphasis on the time crystal because you can just have a tank of red Kool-Aid that you grow a new crystal in in 24 hours. You know, I, I, I've seen <laughs> I think we that just talked about in, a show. Yeah, I think we just talked about yeah. a show where that happened recently. Yeah. Yes. Delta and the Banner Man. In the Doctor Who, yes. If we're going to be talking about time, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who as, as, as well. So get used to it, folks. She tells him that time is a living thing with will and gravity. Will and gravity. I don't understand that. was that. a sitcom, wasn't it? Will and gravity? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. I was uh, just thinking the same thing. She then dismisses Pike as insignificant and arrogantly says that until he's willing to do exactly as she says, there's nothing more to say to him, which is just kind of like. She is like so catty with Pike. I mean, the first thing she says to him is, I could say more about your future, but you won't like it. Uh, yeah. And Ouch. he says the best possible thing at that moment. We're not here to talk about me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they decide that the, or she tells them that deleting the, the sphere data is the best thing at this point. Finally, someone's talking sense. Suru objects that deleting the sphere data is tantamount to burning the library at Alexandria or destroying the Biblioteca Corvi, Corviniana, which is actually not a Star Trek thing. It's actually a real thing. It was a 15th century library, 15th century library of King Matthias of Hungary, which was destroyed by the Ottomans. And it was well known as a, a an extensive uh, big library. Uh, it was, it, the loss was as a, a huge loss to human knowledge. Um, so, again, Saru makes references to two Earth uh, events. Things. Apparently, apparently bad, bad, bad destructions of libraries only happened on Earth. So. Well, if you mentioned the great the destruction of the great Kaminar paper brain, no one would get the reference. So. <laughs> right. Well, they usually like make one reference to something well known on Earth and another reference to some future thing that nobody yeah. knows. But through context, we guess it's the same thing. That, yeah, that's the something, you know, like pre uh, emotion dampening Vulcan or something like that. Yes. The, 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 the Sarek Library of Time, uh, whatever, something. Yes. So then they can't delete the archive because the archive itself has an AI in it that pr protects it. It's like the greatest firewall ever. I want it to protect me from pop-ups and uh, phishing attempts on my Mac. They So they apparently downloaded an alien IA into the ship's computer. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, like, it, that's a bad idea, generally. Um, they, mm -hmm. they need to get a, their, update their um, Sophos. Spyware. Yeah, their spyware. Uh, so, so then we have Box. He's reviewing the, the mission logs himself, and he sees where Gabrielle says that Spock, his lo human, lo his Vulcan logic training and human emotions give him the psychological bounds <sighs> to comprehend her existence, and his dyslexia yeah! <laughs> allows him to process the effects <laughs> of temporal dysplasia. So, Jimmy, no, what do you feel about this? <laughs> This is ridiculous. This is okay. Another huge writing problem with this. Okay, <laughs> Spock is the only one who can perceive her. We've been having other people look at her all this time. Why doesn't she? If she can't, why doesn't she just talk to them like she's talking to them now? If she needs them to understand her, why? If she can't talk for some reason, hand them a note. You know what is what is it? You need this balance of logic and emotion that only Spock has in order to be able to perceive or understand her. No, lady, we've been doing time travel plots for ages. Uh, I'm just a viewer of Star Trek. I'm just a normal human being. I comprehended her existence right from the beginning. I'm not yeah. sure what the problem is. Yeah, that's kind of insulting your audience a little bit. Like, if you if if Spock is vital, 
then make a reason for him being vital that actually makes sense. Spend a few minutes fixing the writing on that. That that is that is a flaw here. You know, I, I wonder if this was almost kind of trying to patch the, hey, you know, we've made this most beloved character look really, really bad because, you know, he went completely insane and has, you know, learning disabilities and stuff. So let's make all that a good thing. And, you know, the best thing that this character has. Yeah, well, then make it make sense. They exactly. are. What, what the one thing they've done is they've said dyslexia is not a failing, which Spock says, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fail, uh, my human failing. And he's, you know, it, it's actually a strength that could save the galaxy. Um, that he, it's just a simply a different way of perceiving reality uh, from from neurotypical folks. And so, um, as a message, if you're going to have a message, that's not a bad message, especially for kids. And so I, I, that part I'm I'm okay with. Like Spock is like we've talked about this before. Spock is one of the most beloved characters, and he has this condition that a lot of kids struggle with. I think that's great that we can have that. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But this bit about, about the not comprehending Gabrielle's existence is, is silly. Also the it, dyslexia is a different way of perceiving. It's not that different. I mean, I have dyslexia. I can read it's You can overcome this. Right. Right. So, uh, Tyler decides he's not going to copy the data under orders from Leland, um, which very quickly relents. It very like it, it, this subordinate is being, yeah uh you know a, a disobedient like huge disobedience and so uh but he just okay whatever control is smart enough it's like okay this is i'm encountering resistance here switch to the other circuit giorgio i need you to do something for me so then uh michael's gonna at this point finally we have to have michael confront her mom they this is the only way i suppose so um and they've also decided that they're going to send the copy of the data in the suit to the future. Oh well, no, that that's coming up. This that oh, comes okay. up. All right, let's do that in a second. But but let's talk about her. Like as she's beaming down, Spock quotes Hamlet to her. Uh, he says, "Time is out of joint, O cursed spite, that I was born to set it right." That is a, a quotation from Shakespeare's Hamlet. That the context of that is Hamlet uh, says this after learning from the ghost of his father that his father was murdered by his brother Claudius, and so Hamlet is cursing the weight of the obligation placed upon him, and so. To- achieve justice for his father which he ultimately fails at right well uh, succeeds but dies himself Mm. along with exterminating everyone in that we know of in the royal family of denmark thus causing a secession crisis and probably a civil war (laughs) right Mm. so not not good that's not good news for michael but uh so so in this case gabrielle is like a ghost murdered by the klingons come back to place an obligation on michael Mm, yeah something like that so uh, then we uh, then we have that scene we talked about where uh, Gabrielle and Michael have that that uh, moment where Gabrielle rejects Michael. And then we have another uh, Spock. Spock's now the uh, wiki wiki quote for the episode. Uh, he quotes Lao Tzu. Very impressive pronunciation, mm-hmm. by the way. Much better than it mine. was. Yeah. On how water is the softest thing, but it can penetrate mountains, which he then extrapolates. <laughs> Not sure where I would get from A to B here. The logic escapes me uh, into. <laughs> Let's use time to save time by sending the sphere data so far to the future it can't be found. So once again, we have future computers that can't copy data, only move it from place to place. So they're going to assume that if you download the sphere data to the suit, the sphere AI in it will allow it to be deleted from Discovery's computer now. Well, and and don't forget, yeah. too, that the suit, because of quantum reasons, 
now has unlimited data storage. Or Stamets says literally infinite. Literally? Yeah. Literally? Because quantum. Not literally. Yes. Yes. As opposed to, you know, if, if, if the suit's good, why doesn't the uh, the the discover sorry the, the discovery I was going to say enterprise have this technology, but apparently the future future computers still have limitations. Yeah. By the way, another piece of fan speculation that's out there is they're going to tie into Calypso by taking the discovery. If they can't get the data off of Discovery, they'll take Discovery into the future and tell it and park it. Uh, and then we won't have Discovery as a ship anymore, and the series will then. I think that's the idea behind this fan theory. I don't know how much they like the series. Yeah. Is, is, this, is this from one of the YouTube channels where yes. literally it, if every episode of Star Trek Discovery disappeared tomorrow, they would rejoice? Yeah. 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 Uh, sorry, folks. I don't think that's happening. So yeah. uh, they will let I, it. But, but, but by the way, it's about at this point in the episode we have. So every episode or not every, but frequently we've been having these. Tilly enthusiasm lines at a moment when they've done something clever and it's like, this is the power of math people and, and similar geek lines. And in this episode, instead of Tilly spot gets one where he gets to say, I like science. I, you know, I swear there's, there's somebody on this staff. There's somebody on this staff who is like a major, major, major science geek. And he's trying so he or she is trying so hard to make science geekery cool. And this is how they're doing it. I, there was such a non sequitur. Like you're a science officer, of course you like science. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's Spock exploring his emotional side, <laughs> right? Exactly. This is also where Stamets says that sending the suit forever into the future forever is perpetual infinity, and where what? Where Spock uh... should have said infinity is perpetual. That's the that's the same thing. You but, idiot, even the lowest order of infinity is perpetual. I'll <laughs> F null, dude. <laughs> exactly. So well, we go back to Leland, the AI Leland, arguing to Giorgio that she should kill Gabrielle and steal the data. And he does it by playing on her jealousy of be, Michael. Because, yeah, because devotion. she's an, an unacceptable risk to the larger mission. Right. Well, also, um, Giorgio has a secret desire to be uh, Michael's mom. And mm -hmm. uh, by owning this super suit, uh, Gabrielle is the, now the most powerful woman in the universe and not Giorgio. Yeah. It's just, it's, so she's a threat to Giorgio's ego. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure like how Giorgio is the most powerful woman in the universe just because she's been in two different time yeah. dimension things. It just seems I mean, that, that, weird. That fits, that fits with stroking the ego of the character. I mean, it really does. Yeah, except you're doing it in this weird way. If you as an AI are thinking this human is motivated by ego and she thinks she's the most important woman in her own emotional universe. And now this is this other woman is a threat. Fine. Use that to manipulate her. But you don't say it this bluntly to her. Right. So meanwhile, so Giorgio is suspicious. We know that she as soon as he says something about the threat to the larger mission, she kind of gets a, a weird look. Um, she's she's already suspicious of Leland's. Uh, confidence so far um she beams down to gabrielle uh turns with off a the with yeah. a data sniffer yes she turns off the cameras uh although there are starfleet people apparently all around her from discovery so but okay and uh she tells G gabrielle tells giorgio that she knows that giorgio would sacrifice herself for michael and that she's seen her do it giorgio tries Multiple to say no, times. That, yeah that's just my prime universe sappy sentimental counterpart 
And uh, and Gabriel says, oh, no, no, I, I know which one I'm talking about. I know exactly who you are. Yeah, that's a that is a, an appeal to that, that what we've been seeing from this character. Her connection to Michael and uh, an affection for her. So, uh, again, I, 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 my two favorite characters in this series, this season so far, are Giorgio and Pike. And I just have to really enjoying both of them. Um, and Giorgio has a good uh, episode uh, in this one, I think. At the end, I love at the end of the scene when Michael beams down with some equipment to do their move the data into the suit and fling it into the future thing. Um, the uh, there Michael's toting this piece of equipment and sets it up, and and it's like some kind of pattern enhancer reinforcer thing with and, dark matter. And dar- yeah. yeah, and Giorgio <laughs> just walks by it and says, "Have fun with whatever that is." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your toys. Uh, That's what we know as a prop. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, so Tyler's on board the uh, the 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 Section Thirty One ship. Notices the sphere data upload, um, and and Leland is there, and Leland's face. I don't. I missed it the first time I watched. I had. To, I saw it the second time. It shows a flicker of the nanotechnology infection. So he excuses himself to his office. Um, so Gabriel, this is the big this is the big turning point in this episode. Gabriel asked Giorgio to watch over Michael because the AI considers Gabriel to be an unacceptable risk to the larger mission. That exact phrase that Leland used. Dum 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 dum. I'm not sure why she uses the same why her use of the same phrase is so portentous. I assume that well, in terms of. I assume how she learned it is because she's had 841 goes at this and has has learned a lot about control and have probably picked up that exact phrase from control. And so when Giorgio hears her use it, she knows that um, that she's just heard this exact phrase from Leland, who has not had that kind of contact with control. And therefore, he must have had unknown contact with control and he's been acting weird so he's been subverted right that that's kind of my, my impression as well as it was kind of like a huh how did you know that he just said that type of moment right okay okay so so at this point Giorgio contacts tyler with her suspicions about leland and uh then she threatens to hunt him down and kill him if he betrays her uh, <laughs> who do you think you're talking to i've already died before yeah at least this time i have time to enjoy the scenery <laughs> yeah, that, I, I like that line. That was a good one. That was good. Uh, then Michael uh, beams down, and she tells her mom that they're the, they're using these dark matter pattern enhancers to 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 pull her out of the space time flux uh, with the the the, the and uh, and and put her in our space time. Uh, yes. like she's sitting right there, <laughs> and uh, and then to beam the data into the suit and send the suit into the future. And then they, there's this emotional moment where her mom reveals that she's watched Michael her whole life growing up and all these significant moments that we get to see. And this during this emotional connection between Michael and Gabrielle, uh, Giorgio oh, turns and off Michael the data is, transfer. Mike, yeah. And Michael is reality denying once again. It's like, how could you possibly see that? And I'm going, um, stealth technology, <laughs> time traveler, Sur- surveillance, <laughs> yeah. spy cam. She's, I mean, I was going to say she's got her little arm mounted spy cam. She could have just had one of them hovering, you know, somewhere I want those, out of sight. I want those drones. Uh, 
So which were an effective actually plot device because it allows us to see uh, Gabrielle in her mission logs from a third party perspective, which was which was much more useful. Uh, yeah. Uh, one otherwise. thing we didn't one thing we didn't mention is she apparently in the future has a base that control can't find because it has no pre-existing technology. So controls apparently hunting down people based on technology. And I thought she said something about Terralysium in that connection. Um, I may have misunderstood that, but I was going, well, if you're hiding the people on Terralysium because they don't have tech, they kind of messed that one up for you. I don't think she, I don't remember her saying that. But that, that doesn't mm. mean I didn't, it didn't. I, 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 might, I, I may have I misunderstood it or something. Yeah, no, she she did say something to the extent of that she had set up on a Class M planet where there was no existing tech, so Control couldn't find her. Right, um, I do remember maybe, that part. Maybe, it's, yeah. maybe the definition of tech, though, is the level of tech that they had on Terralysium was way too low for Control to have any contact with. Because like they only had that one century, transmitter yeah. device. Yeah. yeah. You know. Uh, so. Uh, Tyler confronts the Leland AI, walks in and sees uh, Leland indisposed with his face open. Uh, and While nano, he's regenerating. Yeah, nano, yeah, nanobots, whatever, going all over. Um, he manages to stab Tyler in the gut, who has the presence of mind to call Discovery and say Leland before he collapses. Leland One beams word, down. all you need. Yeah, exactly, Leland. Rosebud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Leland beams down, starts uh, killing everybody. I wonder if we're going to have um, trying to. He's not very successful at like, it. He kills all the, the red shirts. Um, hmm. uh, I wonder if we're going to have memorial services for all of them. I'm guessing not. Only Probably only not. only for the important officers. Yeah. Uh, now, now in, in Discovery, <laughs> is it are they copper shirts or whatever the color is on their armbands? <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. We need red shirts. Come on, Star Trek. Uh, he destroys the, the time crystal in the suit and injures Michael. Uh, but Giorgio gives him a royal butt kicking. Which yeah, is a we lot get of this fun. nice Giorgio Leland battle where Michelle that Yeoh was... gets to use her moves, and oh, it was yeah. really fun. It was that awesome. was fun. Yeah, uh, again, Michelle Yeoh was awesome. Michael, then of course the solution here is, is we have to destroy the containment device, and all of us who happen to still be alive, except for Giorgio, who is distracting Leland, uh, we all have to participate in shooting it, which means Michael has to participate in. Sending her mother back into time exile again, uh, because for emotional reasons. I will find you. I have heard that line so many times. I am tired of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, they beam up the four survivors and the torpedo the base. Are we sure all the security people were dead? Uh, just, just checking, because if they weren't, they are now. <laughs> well, yeah, I, they, I guess I assume they beamed up everybody who was still alive. Yeah, it's just the four to beam up. But they said so. They beamed up four. They they were they were beaming they were beaming beaming them up as Michelle Yeoh and and Leland were fighting. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, Leland also gets away and beamed to the Section Thirty One ship and has an untraceable warp drive. And no name. It's always just the Section Thirty One ship. I it, mean, has it should a, be the, it should it, be the Obsidian or something. It has a number. It's I think it's a, it's NC ninety one A or something like that. I think it's is is NC NCIA ninety three is the call sign. Okay, great. But if you're working on that ship, you're going to want to say something else besides its registry number. You're going to want to say 
the Obsidian or the Darkwing or the Spymaster or whatever you want to call it. I think it's a little, I mean, if, if you call it the Spymaster, uh, people are going to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, like, call, they don't call, seem to be hiding it. I mean, it's kind of it, I think of this thing kind of like a it's a it's a it's a B1 bomber or a B2 bomber back in the days when those were classified. Yeah. Uh, they call it the old 93. It, mm-hmm. It's the it's the ship that's so classified that I have to kill you by telling you the fact that I actually work on this ship. That's that classified <laughs> kind of an unwieldy name. Yeah. I, sometime I want to find this. There is a book of military patches for like classified programs. Yeah. And and one of them has in Latin, I would tell you, but then you would have to be killed by me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's pretty good. So, uh, yeah. So the AI managed to beam out in the split second before the torpedoes hit. Uh, Tyler, uh, for his part, managed to roll himself into an escape pod. Uh, off of the ship uh, the rest of the crew on the uh, section 31 ship while well, they're toast uh, we could just assume that they're all going to die sooner or later uh, Spock says that Maybe. Leland got half of the data Michael despairs but Spock says what has come before no longer exists what happens next has not yet been written we only have what we do now uh, so let's waste time by playing chess <laughs> yes instinct and logic together we let them uh, will let us defeat control blah 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 blah. uh and so the yes they sit down to play chess and burnham contemplates her first move bum, bum, bum. Yeah. So, yeah. so much i like it is it is kind of effective she's like reaching for the board as we fade to black yes so what will be her first move that's the question and we will that, find that, out that quote from spock sounds so much like that cheesy thing of the present is now is a gift, and that's why we call it the present. Didn't Winnie the Pooh say really that? That's really bad. <laughs> yeah. that, that was, <laughs> well, I'm sure you've heard that poem. Oh, yes. I haven't. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very popular among you know sappy Christian circles. You know the same kind of people who have you know the precious moments dolls and things like that. I was like going to say it sounds like something you'd encounter in a bad homily. <laughs> yes, don't ever say that in a homily. <laughs> not, not a homily I've given, but I have mm-hmm. encountered it in a homily. So. Oh. Yeah, that's like just the we just had the uh, Leitare Sunday. And the reason the robes that the vestments that the priest wears are are rose, not pink, because Jesus didn't pink from the dead. Yeah, he also didn't speak English. Oh, Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) I I prefer on red versus blue about how the second in command, it's not pink armor. It's light red. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's salmon. (laughs) Not any better. Not any better. All right. So any more notes on this episode uh, from either of you? Nothing here. Uh, Let's see. So one line that we have in this is the suit. uh, Mom says the suit is DNA strand encoded. So it, quote, won't work for just anyone. Close quote. What about mitochondrial DNA? (laughs) Well, no, but so DNA strand encoded won't work for just anyone. But she didn't say just me. So I think that's another thing setting up, okay, maybe a family member has similar DNA can get in the suit and use it. I think they were hopefully setting that up that possibility with that line. Um, The suit and mom, both who is not in the suit, both get yanked back to the future, even though the time crystal is destroyed. So that suggests they have as physical objects somehow bonded with this moment in the 20, 32nd century. Um, the uh, suit may have cloaking abilities. 
um, since it got to view, mom got to view elements of Michael's past life, or it could just be tiny spy cams. Um, and then I mentioned the thing about Terralisium as a plan or seemed to be maybe part of a plan to ensure limited human survival off planet. But if so, they messed it up by giving him or may have messed him up by giving it tech. Uh, finally, one thing that's not actually from this episode, but I mentioned in our previous podcast that there was a rumor that by the end of the season, we're going to catch up with the uh, original Star Trek series in the timeline. And we might, and this was the rumor that we might see Pike's accident that lands him in the chair. But uh, subsequently, I think it was Anson Mount, but someone connected with the production of the show has said Pike's end will not be tragic. So we will not see the accident. According to what that statement, we won't be seeing the accident that puts him in the chair. Well, and, and Gabriella did say that he was going back to the Enterprise after his time on Discovery was done. Right. Mm -hmm. So just a little bit of feedback. Uh, we have an email yeah. from listener John Scrivo, who has a couple thoughts on season two. Says, Is the exploration of religion brought up early in the season a lost theme by this point? Was Captain Pike's early quote, is in the quotation is any sufficiently advanced alien life is indistinguishable from God. Is that the takeaway message about religion? The religion shown that the, the Terralisian colony and Kaminar seem to have been portrayed as fraudulent. So let's talk about that, that bit first. So okay. what do you think? I, I think he's right. I, uh, according to what we knew, even before this series started, the the then showrunners who were subsequently fired were very interested in exploring spiritual themes and and that has not been paid off and we're almost at the end of the season they did a little bit with it early on i there are rumors of significant reshoots happening in the series and specifically around some of the religion stuff you had apparently some of the complaints were and this is not my words but there were complaints that about Pike's allegedly fundamentalist Catholic faith that was originally displayed. And I'm sure that's an exaggeration, you know, by Hollywood liberals. But um, apparently Pike may have been established as a as a believer. And uh, and and then they reshot to fuzz that out and and make it less obvious. We do have what seems to be evidence of additional reshoots to fuzz stuff out because in the episode where Culber comes back from the dead, they are so avoiding the word soul in ways that don't make any sense. They talk about his energy being transferred out of his body and now they're putting the energy back into its physical into a physical form they're making and no guys the, his body is made of energy. All the matter is made. E equals MC squared, guys. So you're talking about something fun. If you're saying something left his body and now you're making a new body for it, the word for that thing is soul. And they conspicuously avoid it, even though it causes them big dialogue problems. So I think what's probably happened is they did a bunch of reshoots to, to fuzz out the religion elements that were originally part of this. Um, and that's likely it may be tied up with the firing of the showrunners. I think it's a shame because I like to see those elements. I mean, the fact is, is, you know, human beings are fundamentally, you know, we are religious creatures or spiritual creatures. Uh, I, I don't think whatever the future holds. And I know that Gene Roddenberry was a secularist, but you know, the, 
religion is not going away in the next couple centuries. And it, no. would, it would be nice to see this, especially in the original series. We saw Kirk was knowledgeable about Christianity, but it would be nice to see a character who has an integrated sense of his own faith and is part of Starfleet, just like we saw the Bajorans able to do in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, we've and and other cultures in in Voyager, we've had thoughtful religion episodes on Star Trek before. You can they're not incompatible. And in the first see in the first series, Kirk is even like when they meet Apollo and Apollo is kind of why are you having such a problem with multiple gods? And they're like, well, we have enough difficulty with just the one. And so obviously monotheism is a big part of their culture at this point still. If it's if it's treated as preferable to polytheism or actually, I think what he says is we've always found the one quite sufficient. You know, I, I'd love to see, like you said, Dom, but that that would assume that there would be people actually working on the show who have a at least a personal understanding of Christianity, not saying, you know, they're deep theological and spiritual believers or anything like that, but at least have a personal practice of it. And unfortunately, it seems at least looking from afar that Hollywood doesn't have a lot of that anymore. Not like it used to Christianity or Judaism or whatever. But in in the I know writers historically have been interested in exploring this. And some of the writers like on Deep Space Nine talked about the fact that they didn't buy the dictate that um, you couldn't deal with humans in religion. I mean, you can do it with Klingons, you can do it with Bajorans, but you can't do it with humans. And they thought that was nonsense. But it's apparently part of honoring Gene's vision. And maybe they're a little shy about it now because they got so much pushback last season for taking Star Trek in a different direction that violated Gene's rules about you can't have interhuman character conflict among the main characters. And then we get Lorca. <laughs> right. Exactly. The second part of John's email is uh, he says, I was hoping that Arium's character would have been more de developed more considering we just figured out this season that she was even human. Actually, we just discovered like this that last episode. episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would have liked to see them explore her hum more um, her humanness compared to the amount of augmentation. How much tech can someone have and still be considered alive or human? I know the concept of stars having characteristics of life has been brought up on recent episodes. When you talk about stars are alive by some definitions, Jimmy. I'm a biology teacher, and I usually emphasize the cell theory and the need to be made of cells as a requirement for life. This always puts viruses and prion diseases in a gray area. How much biology of Arium remained compared to our augmentations? Should control or any advanced AI be considered alive? I, I do think it is a lost opportunity with Arium uh, to yeah. explore that. Uh, I would have liked to have seen some, you know, like we had with Data. It was Data sentient. Is he alive? But to mm -hmm. kind of go from it from the other direction for some someone who's had augmentation. And with Arium, I mean, they showed at least that it was still her human brain in there because they show them taking off her the top of her her head metal skull, if you want to yeah. call it. Um, but they don't show any other parts of her body having actual flesh. Hmm. I I also wish they'd done more with Arium earlier. The, 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 it makes the death more meaningful the better you know the person. So if you're gonna if you're gonna be killing her off. Let us get to know her really well first. That was one of the things that Babylon 5 did nicely. Um, in terms of how much tech can you have and still be human, um, I did, well, just recently I encountered something where I covered that. I think it may have been in the fifth uh, Friday Weird Question show that we just did on Mysterious World. I think I talked about that there. 
Um, there, it depends on which parts of your body you lose. Um, you'll still like if you lost everything but the brain, um, you would still be you. The the question gets involved when you lose significant chunks of the brain, and it, at some point you might not be, but it gets it gets harder to discern. Because obviously, if you take if you replace every cell in the brain one by one with a transistor, at some point it's not you anymore. Right, right. The, despite everything science fight tells us, you can't download a a brain or a soul. Yeah, and in terms of could you consider an AI alive? Um, by some definitions of life, you could, uh, because they can do things. I mean, okay, so consumes energy, yes. Uh, evolves over time, yes. Rip, rep, reproduces, yes. Uh, so by some definitions, it would be considered alive. I don't think it would be conscious, though, uh, unless it turned out that panpsychism is true. Panpsychism is this theory that um, indiv- every that mental phenomena are fundamental, and so even like an electron has a tiny spark of consciousness. It's nowhere near what we've got, but it's got something, and therefore, it, in consciousness and eventually intelligence can emerge out of matter. That's not um, it, that's not uh the standard view of of just about anybody but it is a theory that's been proposed if that were true if consciousness was somehow resident in matter itself then you could hypothetically build a machine that that had consciousness but as of right now we uh, toasters do not seem to be conscious and a fancy ai is just a fancy toaster Thank you, John, for that uh, that uh, good, the very good email that uh, gave us some good discussion, folks. We'd love to hear from you as well, and I'll give you the contact information. But we love feedback, and we love to have these discussions. So, uh, but before that, we, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek. Today, we're thanking by name Mark C, Alan and Melissa K, Masij B, John L, and Les R. Through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, they make, us poss- they make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So if you want to participate in feedback and have us read your message on the next podcast or a future podcast, please let us know by, by com- going to sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page and leave us some feedback there or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode, which is entitled, I only just got this uh, the other day, Through the Valley of Shadows. Yay, though the Y walk the Valley of Shadows. that's <laughs> yes. Another not slightly bent title from something else. Points yes, of yeah. Light. Uh... Yeah, this is Valley a, of Shadows, almost a psalm from the Bible sort of thing. But uh, so that will be the next episode uh, coming up. Uh, until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom, and live long and prosper. Uh, Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, time is savage. It always wins, even if it is wibbly wobbly.